Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger basketball win. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy opening night in the NBA. We've had many long months of hypothetical basketball, theoretical basketball, historical basketball, everything other than meaningful basketball to talk about on the show. And I'm very, very excited to break down a real-life 
NBA game today. The Denver Nuggets on ring night put forth the championship effort to beat the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to be breaking that game down from the perspective of both teams. And then later tonight, we're going to have a separate video breaking down Suns Warriors. So come back to the feed later on tonight to get a breakdown of that game as well. You guys know the drill before we get started? We launched a brand new YouTube channel this year. Hoops Tonight is now on its own YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to just scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our social media feeds as well, wherever you get uh, like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. That's where I'm doing like video content over the course of the year, show announcements, things like that. And then our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcast under Hoops Tonight. And we're doing mailbags throughout the year at the end of shows this year. So drop mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, you know, a lot of people going into this game tonight were hoping for essentially the birth of a rivalry between the Nuggets and the Lakers. And there is, you know, the ingredients are there, right? Like you've got big names, superstars on both ends, all-time great players and guys like LeBron James and Nikola Jokic. You have like a win where the Lakers beat the Nuggets in the conference finals convincingly four games to one, or it's the same cores, LeBron and AD versus Jokic, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., but they're not quite in their primes yet, and it's different groups of role players. Fast forward to 2023, the Nuggets sweep the Lakers, but like LeBron's a little out of his prime, and they've swapped out the role players. So like in theory, you look at it, it's like kind of the same cores, 1-1. There might be something here that could be a rivalry. But in order for it to be a rivalry, the Lakers have to get up to the Nuggets level. And right now, they are just not. I look at the Nuggets more as like a measuring stick right now than a rival. It's a, a, a status as a basketball team for the Lakers to aspire to. And I mean, you could kind of feel it coming off the screen in this particular game that the Lakers, even though they had a core identity in last year's postseason, they're still kind of figuring stuff out with this new group, especially with some specific role players that they've brought in. In addition to that, just the the kind of convoluted nature of their ball handling. They've got so many different guys on the court that could kind of run the show. And like it's like, who's going to actually grab the reins here and run this thing? It's like, okay, Austin's running two or three actions in a row. Now D'Lo's running a few a few actions in a row. Okay, now we're attacking uh, with LeBron out of switches at the high post in a face-up game. Anthony Davis is taking over for long stretches. And like kind of everybody's kind of figuring out where they fit in in the offense. That's not the case with the Nuggets. The Nuggets know exactly what they are. They are the quintessential basketball team. Jokic is the offensive fulcrum. He's running everything. Jamal Murray is the primary ball handler. He's initiating the action as the perimeter player every single time down the floor. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is the second side shot creator. If Jamal Murray runs an action and he doesn't get a good look, he's going to swing it over to the other side and then they're going to run the same damn thing or some other form of dribble handoff with Contavious Caldwell-Pope to get something going. Michael Porter Jr. not running anything. Like He had a, occasionally a transition push where he got an offensive rebound put back. He had a handful of plays where he looked to be aggressive, but for the most part, he's just spotting up. And Aaron Gordon's just doing dirty work on the back line, like cutting along the baseline, attacking on the offensive glass, uh, with the occasional switch posting up, they know exactly where they uh, who they are. They know exactly where they fit in in terms of the overall roles of the team. They are the quintessential perfect fitting basketball team. It's one of my favorite things about the game of basketball. The Nuggets are a very talented team, but they are not as talented as some of the more talented teams at the top of the league. But you are more than the sum of your parts when you fit naturally 
as a basketball team. And it goes beyond even just the players. I think Mike Ballone does an amazing job getting them to commit to his defensive scheme. Their defensive rotations were sharp tonight. They were super physical at the point of attack. They were frustrating guys like D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. It was a very, very impressive performance on that end. On the other end of the floor, their sets are sophisticated. It's multiple screening actions flowing into their two-man game, which makes it so that Jamal Murray always has the player trailing several feet behind him, which gets him into a position where he can either take and make easy pull-up jump shots or draw multiple defenders to open up things for Nikola Jokic. The Denver Nuggets are already a finished product in so many different ways. They are the bar that the Lakers need to get to. And the Lakers, on the other hand, they have some very, very clear weaknesses that they have to work out. Their transition defense is an issue. They still have issues with perimeter size and getting long contested rebounds. They, they have these clear flaws that they have to work out. The, the hierarchy of their offense is still kind of convoluted. It, over the top shot making, we're going to talk about it in a minute. It. But like again, I, I'm impressed by the Lakers' fight. They fought and and weathered some runs. And I mean, they I think they had it within three in the fourth quarter, right? But like, here's the deal: was were all the games close in the Western Conference Conference Finals? Yes, they were. But the Nuggets won all four of them because when things slow down, they can out execute the Lakers at a much higher level in those specific situations. And the Lakers have a long way to go to catch up. We'll talk more about the Lakers. In a little bit, I wanted to again. I was really impressed with the the Nuggets' defense. They were bringing Jokic up high in pick and roll on the um, uh, sp- specifically on the D'Angelo Russell pick and rolls, but often on the Austin Reeves pick and rolls as well. They were rotating really sound on the back end. They were being physical with D'Angelo Russell and talking shit to him. That's kind of the strategy they use in the Western Conference Finals. And what do you know? He ended up struggling. We'll end up talking a little bit more about D'Angelo Russell in a minute. Uh, Nikola Jokic just dominated Anthony Davis. He just phys- he just physically cannot guard him one-on-one, which is the wildest thing in the world. I'm not sure that there is a player in the NBA that can even make Jokic really work all that hard one-on-one. I was, I had somebody throw the name Joel Embiid out there, and and like, it's hard because you don't you only see him play twice a year, uh, and it, Joke, uh, Embiid does kind of have the size to kind of um, uh, absorb some of those drop steps from Jokic, but even then, it's like, if Joel Embiid was the magic elixir for Jokic, he's just not even in the same stratosphere as a defensive player as some of the guys at the top of the league and so like Jokic just puts you in a real predicament in the sense that you physically cannot match up to him with any individual defender and then when you combine that in uh, in a true two-man game with a guy like Jamal Murray who is a a legitimate weapon in pull-up jump shooting situations who can make you pay if you duck under picks by knocking down pull-up threes can make you pay if you trail picks by knocking down pull-up jump shots and floaters can make you pay with the pass if you bring multiple defenders over can make you pay on the switch if you put a small defender on him like he just has the perfect complimentary game to what Nikola Jokic brings to the table. I thought Jamal Jamal Murray looked like an all-star this year. That's the whole kind of storyline surrounding Jamal Murray this year is can he be the regular season impactful player that that he was in the playoffs? I've been saying all summer, Hell yeah, he can. The dude got hurt. And last year, he was coming back from an injury. The year before that, he was out with an injury. The year before that, he literally was coming off of an incredibly short layoff out of the playoffs um, in, in the bubble, which directly led to some of the physical issues that he had that season. This is his first healthy, normal season as the player that he was in the playoffs last year. I expect him to produce like this all year long. 
Aaron Gordon looked fantastic. He was beating guys in uh, post-up mismatches, just like he did in the NBA Finals. You just can't switch a smaller guard onto him. He can work his way inside in the post and score on him. Beating him on the offensive glass, uh, cutting uh, along the back line. In transition, he had a bunch of big plays. Aaron Gordon was just awesome. The Denver Nuggets are a well-oiled machine. Their bench had some issues in the second half, but their bench had issues all year last year and ended up just not mattering. And so, like, again, like we can talk about the hypothetical ceiling that Dame and Giannis can reach. And we can talk about the hypothetical ceiling that Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis can lift the Boston Celtics to. And we can talk about the hypothetical ceiling that Bradley Beal can lift the Phoenix Suns to or what the Lakers might be able to accomplish over the course of the season. But at the end of the day, the Denver Nuggets are right now one of the best teams of the last decade. And they are currently clicking at that level. They are going to click at that level all season long. And as long as they are healthy when they get to April, they're going to just be a royal pain in the ass for anybody to beat. And that's why I picked them as my championship favorite, even among the super talented teams that we have at the top of the league. All right, let's talk some Lakers for a few minutes. This matchup is tough for them. They struggle with perimeter size, right? Like you got Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell as guys that are, you know, decent size. Like they're 6'4", 6'5", but they're both not fantastic athletes, right? Like Contavious Caldwell-Pope's a better athlete. Jamal Murray's a better athlete. Michael Porter Jr. has a, a has size on either of them in, in any specific help defense situation, right? Uh, Torian Prince has some of the, the the length, but he's kind of thin, right? And actually, Torian Prince had some impressive perimeter defense possessions on Jamal Murray today. I thought that was encouraging. Torian Prince was one of the bright spots uh, for the Lakers in this particular game. But you could tell the Nuggets have a mental advantage as well. They're talking shit. They're getting guys out of rhythm. They're being physical. They are feeling themselves because they know they have the Lakers number. It kind of reminds me, again, this is not a direct comp because the Nuggets are the defending champions and the Clippers have never won anything. But the Clippers in 2020 kind of had a similar mental advantage over the Lakers where you can tell they just feel like they're better. And that manifests on the floor in a lot of different ways. Confident, I mean, I know I know all the analytics guys like to pretend like there's no such thing as the hot hand or confidence or anything along those lines. That stuff is real, in my opinion. And like the psychology of basketball really does matter. And I think the Nuggets have a psychological advantage here. They can attack con- uh, 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 mismatches in size all over the floor, whether it's Jamal Murray. He didn't do too much post-up attacking in this game, but Aaron Gordon can beat them. Even the Michael Porter Jr. transition basket, it's just because he's bigger than everybody, right? And then uh, Nikola Jokic has the number of the very best defender in the world and the best defender on the Lakers and Anthony Davis. So they're put into a tough spot. You saw their point of attack defense be a problem in this game. Again, point of attack defense is the ability to contain ball handlers on the perimeter and the ability to navigate ball screens to funnel players into your rim protection, right? And like you saw, you know, again, when Torian Prince was on the floor, it looked okay. But you saw like when Gabe Vincent was guarding him, when D'Angelo Russell was guarding him, Jamal Murray's consistently drawing fouls and consistently getting separation. And that's an issue that's going to manifest over the course of not only the season, but in the postseason, if the Lakers don't either get Jared Vanderbilt both healthy and capable of being a threat offensively, or make some sort of deal around the deadline to improve their perimeter defense. Because when they, it's not just teams like the Nuggets, any team that has high-level guard play and good screeners is going to put the, the Lakers in rotation a lot. And when they're in rotation, Anthony Davis can't protect the rim. And when Anthony Davis can't protect the rim, they have a pretty big, steep drop-off with their defense. And so, again, that's going to be something to watch with the Lakers all year long, but specifically in this matchup, their ability to defend at the point of attack. And then over-the-top shot-making. Again, like LeBron hit a, hit a three, Anthony Davis, you know, 
I think he hit one three in this game. I'd have to look at the box score. But, like, there wasn't a ton of, like, high-level, over-the-top shot-making from the Lakers in this game, just like you would expect after what we saw from them last year. But time and time again, when the Lakers would make a run and and get the game back to five, seven, four points, whatever it was, it'd be another Jamal Murray pull-up jump shot, another Contavious Caldwell-Pope curling jump shot coming off of a screen, another Nikola Jokic popping jump shot at the top of the key. They are just an incredibly skilled basketball team and when things really slow down and they execute their skill manifests in those half court possessions so like again that the the Lakers are clearly a level below the Nuggets and that is something they're going to have to resolve over the course of the season we're going to be monitoring that closely we're going to look at all the different things that kind of take shape over the year what deals they might have to make rotational changes different lineup structures and things like that But at the end of the day, the Nuggets are just better, and it's going to take a little while for the Lakers to get to that point. That doesn't mean doom for the Lakers. They play 82 games. They're going to be more talented than at least 25 of the 30 teams that they play over the course of the season, right? They're going to have opportunities to get through this season and be in a position to attack this Denver team over two weeks as opposed to one game. And there were positives, right? Anthony Davis looks great. That's the crazy part, and that's how good Nikola Jokic is. AD was really damn good in this game, and Jokic was just better than him because he is just better than him. But at the end of the day, that's a positive. Anthony Davis looks great. I thought LeBron looked great. They limited his minutes. I think that's a good thing. There's no reason for him to play uh, too much with the amount of talent that's on this team. It allows LeBron to be, I noticed it in particular, like LeBron has a tendency to float through games. He'll play 36, 37 minutes, but he'll take these long stretches where he's kind of disengaged. LeBron was more engaged in his minutes because he was playing shorter shifts. And like the Lakers were a big positive when LeBron was on the floor in this game. I think that's encouraging, right? And you saw him uh, be able to attack from the high post, attack in transition as as a uh, uh, just a downhill threat, right? Like making solid reads when the Nuggets would offer nail help, kicking to shooters. I thought LeBron looked great in this game. I think that's a positive, right? Um, uh, I did think it was interesting that the Lakers kind of took off in the second half when LeBron started being more aggressive offensively. It's something to keep in mind. We were talking about the hierarchy of the ball handling for the Nuggets and how clear it is. I'd like the Lakers to do the same thing, to simplify their ball handling structure and lean more on one guy, try to get one of Austin or D'Lo to operate primarily as an off-ball player, and and, and just kind of simplify that decision-making process, right? So D'Angelo Russell looked fantastic all preseason and then looked pretty bad in this particular game, right? Had some spot-up threes that he knocked down. He made some plays, but definitely wasn't as impactful as he was in the preseason. Why is that? Time and time again, when the intensity ratchets up and the physicality ratchets up, that's when D'Angelo Russell struggles to finish around the rim, struggles to get separation and pick and roll, struggles to make passes out of pick and roll. And again, there's value in D'Angelo Russell. Kind of reminds me of James Harden. He can eat regular season innings and he can uh, you know, provide basically a, a, a mediocre offensive fulcrum when you need it right? But in intense games, and again, this is season opener. This is not the same as a game in February. This game had a playoff feel in terms of the overall physicality. In those environments, he's going to go down a level. And that's something to keep an eye on over the course of the season because the Lakers do have the ability to slot Gabe Vincent and Austin Reeves in the backcourt. They have three forwards. They can afford to get rid of one, right? You saw Rui Hachimura look kind of like the odd man out tonight, right? So like you could see a scenario. And again, I'm not saying you do this now, but if 50 games from now, if you're in February and Delo's still kind of struggling in the big games and Rui Hachimura is still struggling to find his role off the bench, that's two pieces you can package together with two first-round draft picks and you can bring back a $30 million player, a good $30 million player. 
that could give that could potentially be a ceiling raiser for this team. But again, like as good as D'Angelo Russell is, and he's going to have a lot of great nights, and he's going to have a lot of great sequences. Time and time again, when the physicality ratchets up in these bigger matchups against the better teams at the top of the league, he tends to struggle a little bit. Um, I thought the second half bench unit, end of the third quarter, early fourth looked good. There was a lot of uh, uh, LeBron James and Christian Wood matchup attacking against smaller defenders, either at the high post and out of the post. I thought that was an interesting thing that you can see the Lakers do more over the course of the season. You saw D'Angelo Russell kind of operate making those post entries and then basically just spotting up on the wing. And LeBron's really good at punishing the nail help there with just quick passes into the shooting pocket. So I I thought that was encouraging because the bench units kind of struggled during the regular season. And again, in the big picture, not every team is Denver. Like, like this is a really good team on the road, championship ring night. It's a hard game to win. It doesn't spell doom for the season, but it's it's the measuring stick. It's the level they have to get to over the course of the 82. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, my Arizona Diamondbacks just made it to the World Series, which I'm super excited about. Uh, So we still have a couple weeks of baseball. We have uh, the NFL that's deep in the swing of things. Obviously, college football is in the heart of the season. And now we have the return of the NBA and college basketball right around the corner. So there's no shortage of events to attend right now. And all summer long, we've had concerts and comedy shows. And so with all of this, there's a lot of tickets out there. 
for these events. And the best way to get tickets to any of these events is on GameTime, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. So for amazing mass, uh, last minute deals on tickets to your favorite football team, baseball team, basketball team, musician, um, comedian, GameTime has your tickets. And it's not just sports. It's also your favorite concerts and comedy shows as well. Download the GameTime app and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, download the GameTime app, enter code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S, for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the GameTime app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So I had a, a radio hit this morning in Phoenix. And um, it was funny because we ended up talking D-backs for about a third of it. But it's just, you have to understand, like, uh, like oh, man, baseball was like such a huge thing for me growing up. It was like literally all I did until I picked up a basketball because I kind of got into basketball late. So like I'd go to school, go to Little League practice, and then I'd go watch the D-backs every single night. And so this playoff run is like throwing me for a loop because it's like it makes me feel like I'm a kid again. Uh, tonight, honest to God, was really difficult to navigate doing my job while also watching one of the most stressful baseball games that I've ever watched, you know, uh, the D-backs on the road in Philly against the terrifying bats of Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber. And I, I, I would love to never see a Zach Wheeler sweeper or four-seamer or two-seamer ever again in my life. That was absolutely terrifying. Uh, but after we talked to some D-backs on the radio this morning, we talked some Suns. And before the, the interview, I was uh, doing some research on the Suns preseason, just a deeper dive. And Devin Booker was 13 for 23 on pull-up jump shots in preseason. And I'm like, that's freaking insane. So like last year in the regular season, he was a hair under 50% on effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots. And then he went up way up to like almost 60% in the postseason. And then in the preseason, he's at like almost 75% in effective field goal percentage. I'm like, man, it feels like Devin Booker's kind of taking a leap. And then last year, um, in the regular season was the first time that it really dawned on me just how advanced of a playmaker Devin Booker has become in this phase of his career. And so as I was sitting down on the computer, I'm looking at Devin Booker's age and I'm like, he, he hit all these crazy pull-up jump shots last year. Remember that game three, game four sequence against Denver when he got like so outrageously hot. It was one of the hottest shooting streaks that we've ever seen from a pull-up jump shooter in the postseason. And I remember though, the whole thing was like, and I, I'm guilty of this as well. We're all like, he's just not going to keep making these, right? Like he's going to eventually start missing, right? And don't get me wrong. I don't expect him to shoot 75% on him forever. But, you know, people used to say that thing about Steph. He's never going to be able to just consistently shoot threes at this level. Right. And I started looking at, uh, the, the, uh, the basketball reference, reference page and I'm like, holy shit, like Devin Booker is only 26 years old and Steph Curry in his 2015 MVP season, his first MVP season was when he was 26 years old. And all I could think of is like, you could make a legitimate case that Devin Booker was the best player on the Suns last year. And I, I, I still think Devin Booker's a better player than Devin, uh, or excuse me, I still think Kevin Durant's a better player than Devin Booker overall. I think he deserves that kind of like benefit of the doubt right now. But here's the thing, like if Devin Booker takes a leap and he becomes a better player than Kevin Durant, not through some sort of decline from Kevin Durant, but just through his own ascension to bona fide superstardom, that completely changes the calculus for everything surrounding this Phoenix Suns team. Because he is now playing like a top five player in the world and has been for a really long time. He played like a top five player all preseason. He played like a top five player all postseason. This is not a blip. This is a trend of Devin Booker ascending to the level of the players 
at the top of the league. And again, like we talked about all that pull-up jump shooting, but down the stretch, it was three playmaking possessions from Devin Booker that turned this game around. So we have a classic high pick and roll on the right side of the floor to go to the ball. Again, we talk about this concept a lot, especially with the Suns. Um, you know, the idea of defending pick and roll three on two and the need to have a guy in the weak side corner that can like knock down shots, right? And we're going to talk about Josh Koji in a minute because he hits this one. But like what ends up happening in a lot of these cases is when you put two to the ball. So like Devin Booker's got the basketball. He's dribbling to his right, coming off of a ball screen. The guy who's guarding him is trailing him from behind. In this case, I think it was Gary Payton. <clears throat> so Gary Payton, Payton's coming from behind. Kevon Looney, uh, the screen defender, is up at the level of the screen to try to stop the Devin Booker pull-up jump shot that's going in every single damn time. Well, the low man is the player that is guarding Josh Okoji in the weak side corner, and he's coming over, and he's basically defending the action three on two. And in that case, if you don't have one, a playmaker that has the ability to make that cross-court skip pass to the shooting pocket for the shooter in the weak side corner, I've talked about that all summer long and all preseason long, the playmakers that are capable of making the cross-court feed over the top of the defense when teams guard pick and roll three on two because it's difficult to get high enough to make that pass. Usually the low man's a little bit of an athlete. Now, that's not necessarily the case with the Golden State Warriors in this in this particular game, but like there's typically a lot of length on the ball. There's length in the pick and roll defender, right? It's usually an athlete that's coming up to the level of the screen, an athlete trailing the play, and an athlete that's the low man. And it's difficult to get enough separation from the perimeter defenders to elevate over the top and make that pass. And Devin Booker was able to make that pass. Then on the very next possession, they run this interesting kind of like variation of Spain pick and roll um, with Eric Gordon. Where Eric Gordon has the ball, he gives the ball to Devin Booker, they clear out. Nurkic comes up and sets the ball screen. After Nurkic sets the screen, um, literally Eric Gordon goes over and screens Kevon Looney. And on that play, because Eric Gordon screens Kevon Looney and Kevon Looney can't help Devin Booker, on that pull-up jump shot, Steph Curry, who's being who's the guy guarding Eric Gordon, has to basically hedge or show on that Devin Booker pull-up. And because of that, when he shows, Eric Gordon pops to the three-point line. Kevon Looney, because he's a big man, is accustomed to kind of staying in the ball screen action. He kind of leaks back towards the middle. Steph has to close out all the way to the wing. Eric, uh, Devin Booker, on time, on target, hits Eric Gordon in the shooting pocket. Steph is too slow to close out, and he knocks down the shot. And then finally, the biggest possession of the game after Steph hits the three on the offensive rebound to get it back to one, or back to two, they go down another Devin Booker, Yusuf Nurkic pick and roll. Two to the ball, right? We have Gary Payton chasing over the top. Looney's showing high. Booker just elevates. This time they don't help as much. Uh, they don't aggressively help from the weak side corner. So uh, Nurkic is able to catch on the run. Nurkic catches on the run and makes the driving layup. One of the biggest narratives surrounding this Phoenix Suns team is like, they need a point guard. They need a point guard. And don't get me wrong. Like, I think you saw the absence of Bradley Beal tonight when Kevin Durant was kind of not having a, a very great game by his standards. And so every single time Devin Booker went off the floor, there was kind of a crater in the, in the Suns kind of offensive flow, so to speak. Right. And Bradley Beal is going to help with that just because it allows you to constantly have two of those guys on the floor, but they don't need a point guard. It's like, talking about the Celtics needing a point guard. At the end of the day, it's your top-tier ball handler, your number one guy that you're giving the basketball to at the end of the game, and his ability to make plays off the bounce for your team and to constantly get the defense in rotation, which allows you to make the right reads out of that and get quality shots. As long as you have that, you don't need a point guard. And so, like I, again, like if Devin Booker is going to play like this, the way he's played now for the better part of a year, 
It's not about what you can get from the point guard position. Devin Booker is your primary shot creator down the stretch of these games. Devin Booker finished the game with 32 points, 6 rebounds, and 8 assists on 13 for 21 shooting. Did have 6 turnovers is something to keep an eye on. Um, but I, I just have been blown away by him. And again, like Dev, like Kevin Durant struggled a little bit with uh, the physicality of Golden State. Uh, leaned on a lot of really tough like fadeaway jump shots out of the post and he wasn't making them. Um, and, and look, here's the thing. Kevin Durant's going to figure it out. Kevin Durant, like just last season, shot 60% on pull-up twos. So KD's going to figure it out. But like if Devin Booker's going to be better than KD, that's fantastic news for the Suns. Because now you're not talking about, you know, a a single top five player and then another top 15 player and then another top 30 player. You're talking about two top six or seven players before you get to Bradley Beal. That completely changes the math. Especially since the only other team that has two top 10 players in the league are K, uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they're both on the tail end of that top five, top 10, right? And if you have two players that are that are in legitimate conversation for being top-tier superstars, that kind of flips that talent equation into a crazy direction. I wanted to shout out Josh Okoji. So we talked about the corner three. And again, that, that's the big thing. Like, you, you, like when this team is healthy, you have that question. It's like, are you going to put uh, if we have Beal, Booker, Durant at the four, you need another perimeter player out there. And ideally, that's a guy who can guard at the point of attack and a guy that can consistently make the defense pl- uh, pay for not guarding him in situations like that uh, tagging the roller situation that Josh Okoji got the wide open corner three. Well, you know, the the, the conversation kind of coming into this was like, do you want Josh Okoji who's this like wrecking ball of an athlete who could do all these things but is going to struggle to make the offensive plays? Or would you rather have, you know, Grayson Allen, a guy who's like going to be more reliable, allegedly, although he couldn't shoot tonight, but a more reliable, or an Eric Gordon as another option, a guy who's going to be more reliable to knock down those shots, but not bring you the same level of defensive upside that you get from Josh Okoji. And that was a big moment tonight for Josh Okoji to show that in a huge possession at the end of a game, when he was completely ignored in a three-on-two situation in pick and roll, that when Devin Booker trusted him to knock down the shot, he rose up and he knocked the shot down. And when you combine that with everything else he does, because he wrecks havoc at the point of attack with his physicality and his athleticism, slashing off the wing, like just catching and ripping and going to the rim. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but it has to do with this specific type of athlete. The transition drives that he had in this game, getting all the way to the rim, crashing the offensive glass. He had four offensive rebounds. Finished the game with 17 points. And like if he's going to knock down the big corner threes when they matter then forget about the the some of the other issues that this roster has. If Josh Okoji is going to be available to help in those situations and reliable on the offensive end, that just solves a bunch of your problems. And this kind of goes back to the conversation we had surrounding Bruce Brown in the postseason last year. That little bit shorter, little bit stockier, stout, athletic wing with long arms, right? Not the tall, lanky, kind of like high center of gravity, Herb Jones, Jade McDaniels type. I'm talking more like the fire hydrants, the guys that are like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, usually about 220 pounds or more, usually super long arms, and freaky athletic. The Bruce Browns, the Terrence Manns, the, the Josh Okojis. We're seeing that type of player become immensely valuable in the modern NBA. And a huge, part, a, whole, a huge reason for that, in my opinion, is as the game has spread out more and become more perimeter-oriented and more skill-oriented, you have a lot of thin players on the floor. Guys that aren't especially strong and stout at their position. And when you have a low center of gravity, it's extremely difficult to cut that player off on a drive. Does that make sense? Like 
if you have a high center of gravity, if I slide my feet and I initiate some sort of contact, like a hip check or a little bit of a hand check, I can probably contain you in that situation. But if you have a low center of gravity, even if I do put my hand on you or I do kind of hip check you, you can blow through that because your, your center of gravity is low and you're bringing a lot of power to that drive. And that's what, caught, that's what allowed Bruce Brown to like just rip through D'Angelo Russell all the way to the rim. That's what allows you know, a Bruce Brown or Josh Koji or Terrence Mann to crash the offensive glass and be very difficult to box out because there's thinner, skinnier players that are trying to wrap their arms around and box a player like that out that brings that athleticism to the table. Again, we got to keep an eye on that because teams, are, teams aren't going to respond to this one game with Josh Koji hitting that corner three and then just start guarding him all the time. Like they're going to ignore him a lot in those situations. And we'll see in the in the bigger picture if he can make enough of those shots. But I thought it was a super encouraging first game from Josh Koji. And in general, a super impressive win for the Suns. You got nothing from Grayson Allen. Eric Gordon was ice cold until he hit those two late threes. I think one was on an offensive rebound. And then we talked about that kind of like weird, funky Spain pick and roll possession um, that they ran. Kevin Durant was seven for 22 from the field. And as a team, you had 19 turnovers. And you went on the road into one of the hardest places in the NBA to win on the road, and you got to win. Huge win for the Phoenix Suns. I thought it was really impressive. Showdown with the Lakers on Thursday in LA. It's going to be a fun one. The Lakers are going to want to get a, a bounce-back win. Um, it's a bad matchup for the Lakers because they have weak point-of-attack defense. I think that Thursday night game is going to be really fun. We will be breaking that game down immediately after it's over. One other positive note uh, for the Suns. I thought Nurkic, again, he, defensively he was a mess, and that's something they're going to have to figure out. Um, did have a big late block though on Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga kind of randomly just decided to co-opt a possession and semi-transition kind of forced things. But Nurkic made a nice play helping from the left elbow and came down and made a nice block. But he did rebound the hell out of the basketball. You saw his size be really imposing. Nurkic is legitimately very big. Um, had that big play on the roll late where he kind of uh, caught the pass from Devin Booker on the slip and went to the basket. And you saw his screening be a factor in this game, his ability to get his perimeter players separation. And then just in general, shout out to Frank Vogel. He's done a really nice job breeding a, a culture of physicality and commitment to the defensive end of the floor uh, from the Suns in training camp to this point. On to the Warriors. Obviously, Draymond's out. And again, like I know Warriors fans are always so up and down on Draymond. I think it's just because he's friends with LeBron and a lot of uh, the stand culture surrounding Steph Curry really struggles to identify that players could be friends with rivals and stuff like that. Um, but the reality is, is Draymond is every bit as important to the Warriors defense as Steph Curry is to the Warriors offense. That has been statistically proven over the course of this last decade. Uh, I don't think it's debatable at this point. When you take him off the floor, it just gets infinitely harder for this Warriors team to get stops. And, and like you even saw that just from the standpoint of offensive execution. Like They went with Kaminga late, I think in large part because they needed uh, another athlete on the floor alongside Looney. But like I could see a universe where if Draymond's out there, you might be able to get away with Dario Saric at the four. And if Dario Saric is at the four, that opens up a bunch of other things for you offensively, right? And so, again, like I don't think you could have gone with Saric down the stretch because of that. Saric had a little bit of a rough night. But I think I, I think that Draymond being out really does have a, a, a lot of collateral damage that Warriors fans in a lot of cases don't acknowledge. That's not an excuse for the loss. It's, it's a quality win for Phoenix. But Draymond being out certainly plays a big role in the way that the Warriors play on both ends of the floor. Um, some positives, though. I thought Jonathan Kaminga showed some really impressive individual defense on on Kevin Durant. Again, the decision-making thing is is there. Like, you had that weird semi-transition drive at the end. Those are the kinds of things where it's like, hey, dude, there's four minutes left. Like, get the ball to Steph Curry instead of trying to force the ac action, right? 
Um, he was actually really impactful on the offensive glass, even though he missed that uh, a couple of free throws late that would have helped. But overall, you're seeing more of the upside of Jonathan Kaminga, and I thought his defensive possessions on Kevin Durant were super encouraging. Again, Chris Paul shot poorly, and I don't want to get on Chris Paul about that because everybody on the Warriors shot poorly. The Warriors shot 36% from the field, 23% from three. Stephen Clay couldn't make their threes. Andrew Wiggins was awful. Like, I don't want to get on Chris Paul's shooting. I thought the fit from a basketball perspective made a lot of sense. Having him as a late-game ball handler really seemed to allow Steph Curry more freedom offensively to play the way he likes to play normally, not have to have the ball in his hands all the time. They actually got a really good look, a a Chris Paul pull-up mid-range jump shot that put the lead to one late because they had Steph set a ball screen. And when you have Chris Chris Paul coming off of a Steph-led double ball screen, you're going to get an open look every time because they're going to prioritize covering Steph in that action, he got an easy little 15 footer. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see how that kind of shapes out in the long run. I, I think the Chris Paul fit has, has gone better than I expected so far through camp and, and, uh, the first regular season game, Moses Moody played really well in the first half. I thought that was encouraging, but like the reason you can't contend without Draymond, if your best players don't play well and they just didn't play well, I thought Steph didn't play particularly well. He hit some big shots obviously, but like, I thought he really struggled defensively and on the glass. They were throwing him in a ton of uh, of action at the top of the key where he's having to hedge and recover. Uh, the Warrior, the Suns were consistently attacking him in almost every action. He missed a lot of box outs in this game. Again, uh, every every star has bad games. I didn't think it was Steph's best game. Clay Thompson didn't play particularly well. Andrew Wiggins was mostly awful. So like, I, I just don't understand how how you can even hope to win a game like this without Draymond Green if none of your stars play well. And I mean that was the thing. Like even down the stretch. Clay Thompson left-handed layup, left it short uh, on the rim. Like Steph Curry missed a couple of threes late. Like it just wasn't, they just didn't have the firepower they needed from their best guys to contend in a game like this. One other note on the Warriors, they're small. And, you know, you saw that, I mean, when Nurkic is towering over you, that's kind of an issue, right? And you saw it happen a lot on uh, long rebounds, contested rebounds. We talked about the inability to box out guys like, Jordan Goodwin and, and Josh Okoji just because of their strength and athleticism crashing from the perimeter. They need their guards to compete more, especially in games like this when Draymond's out. We don't know how much longer he's going to be out. And so, like, especially going into the rest of this week, I just want to see Steph and Clay in particular compete more on the glass and defensively. Uh, because right now they don't have enough defensively to get enough stops to allow them to coast on that end of the floor. Um, that was a that was a big area of opportunity in this game. Lots of stuff for Steve Kerr to look at on film for them to get better at. Um, they committed a ton of fouls again. That's been an issue nonstop over the last couple of years for the Warriors. They just fouled too much, and you know you kind of saw that in that third quarter run for the Warriors. I think they outscored the Suns forty to nineteen. They stopped fouling, which allowed them to force Phoenix to make some shots which they missed a lot, and then the, the, the Warriors were able to run the, run the floor. And when they get out in transition, that's when they're at their best. That's when they get energized, and that's when they start to get easy shots in transition, which allows them to set their defense, which allows them to get more stops, which allows them to get out in transition more. It's like a cascading effect. But when they're constantly fouling, they're constantly setting up for free throws, and now the other team is setting their defense. And now you have to go down the floor, and Steph has to have three dudes hanging on him while he's trying to run off screens again. And that just gets fatiguing, right? So like I just didn't think it was an overly well played game for the Warriors, and I'm sure they're gonna have a lot to talk about on the in the film session. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate you for supporting the show. We will be back tomorrow with the show at the end of the ESPN slate. I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you then.
the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts